whole lot more than we need, but that's okay, too. So, I'm sure I'll ramble. Have you ever listened to, the, to my podcast at all? No, not a one. I think so. But, <laughs> but when we have conversations, it tends to be somewhat like an interview. It's us teaching each other, so I think that's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I realized when you... We haven't called each other in a really long time. Like, years. It's always been through Snapchat or Facebook or something else. So sure. the last time you called me, I was going through my contacts, and you're in my phone as Josh will come. In one sense, like I will, I will, I will come to the rescue, or I, I will, it you know, but, let it go. But that's who you were to me. You were my, hey, dude, I need you. I'll be there in ten. <laughs> that's who you were. So it was a a benefit, but also like a jerk off moment. I think. Oh, absolutely, man. I mean, yeah. we all we all got jerk off moments in our yeah, lives. Kind of fantastic. Because I was trying to think. I I, I just I happened to go through my contacts. I was cleaning my phone up because I get there's so many people over here. I'm like, who the fuck is that even? <laughs> I don't even fuck this. Some random tour manager from like '99 is still in my fucking phone because I've had my Gmail that fucking long. Oh yeah, I got numbers in my phone that. Yeah. I'll hit them up every once in a while too. You know, it'd be like a year ago. I'd be like, "Hey, how's it going?" Like, I'm just I, picking I up have, like where we left off. I have fucking around accidentally called people that I should not call, like mm. musicians or. Been there. Yeah, like, like, call, like I called Afro Man one night at random. Hey. Because I have his number. Because he called me all stoned one night, which is fantastic. When he was when he played here, Nothing better. he got lost. He, he was high as shit. We talked about it. He's like, dude, keep my number. You're funny. And I did. And then I accidentally called him one night. I felt like a shit. It was like 3.30 in the morning. I have no idea where in the country world he was, but he answered and hung up to promptly. So, I always kind of felt bad. So more beautiful than that. I back like, hey, I, I kind, of, kind of called you on accident. Sorry. But I've called people, that, like tour managers that are on the other side of the planet. Like, I think they're, you know, in LA or New York. And they're in, like... Australia, <laughs> time zones don't register with me. So yeah, so I was going through, and I was trying to think, but I entered your phone into my phone seven years ago, I think. It's a good grip of time. Yeah. Before I even really knew you, I think I had your phone number as a, this is a guy you can call. And I think Pinner gave it to me. Oh, fucking Chad. Yeah, so six yeah. or seven years ago that I put it in, and I was like, Jesus, how did I do that? Because some of this shit's from, like, the AOL days that translated into my Gmail, and some of it's from my other phones, and, but, yeah, I cut, like, 500 names out, and I've still got over 1,000. Over here just reminiscing about Penner right now. <laughs> Why do I feel like that went porno? It could've. It could've. It could've. Dude, I called him Lionel. Because his beard always oh, sucks yeah. He Oh, yeah. I mean, like, it never grew down, just out. Out. It's beautiful. He was a, like a reverse, uh... He was a dwarf, but not, a, but, like, backwards. It was weird. But I liked it. Like a reverse Leonidas, you know? There we go. There we go. Yeah. I dug it. <laughs> I haven't seen him in a long time. But last Same. time I saw him, he was real good. That's good to hear. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen a lot of those guys. Hey, hell, I, was talking, I was talking to, to Sorg about that. We, we haven't talked to a lot of those guys in forever. Basically, when Sabrosa closed, I just lost contact with everybody other than, like, Judah. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Because I could go see Judah at Quincy's, but then I didn't know where anybody was. I mean, all those guys, I would only ever see them really when I went downtown. You know, right. that's where our, our biggest relationship formed. So, yeah. you know, and when I stopped kind of frequenting downtown as much as I used to, it, those relationships kind of went with it, yeah. fortunately. Well, some of them survived, I mean. Yeah. Uh, well, obviously, but, but ours was tied to music. True. More than else. We started talking music, and then, and I think that's always come back to it because you're one of the few people around here that I can sit and listen to music with. Where you can show me something that I haven't heard or I don't know, and I'm like, oh thank God, because that—that's 
It's my biggest complaint about like beginning Grand Junction. I feel culturally starved all the time. I feel that. It's hard. Like when you hear when you hear the guys like, well, I'm shit. You showed me three new albums. I didn't even know were out the last time you were here. Hey. I, I was like, fuck, and I've been. They were in rotation, adding them to playlists and stuff. I was like, there, fuck, fuck yes, thank you. Speaking of that, have you heard of I Built the Sky? Yes. Australian instrumentalist? Yes. Real good. Uh, actually, they came up on my Pandora. I still use Pandora. Because um, I was listening to a bunch of Pelican and Isis. And like, <laughs> Dude, I like, I like when I can make it random. Oh, for sure. Lots of times it just plays my live tracks and things I've done over the years. But every once in a while, I have this one channel called Poker Radio that is this really stupid mix of like backpack rap <laughs> and almost industrial and really good instrumental post-metal. Like, really good, like, Pelican. That's a big spectrum, man. It is. But <laughs> I can dig it, though. But the thing is, when we would have those big poker parties at my house up in, up in Rifle Rulison, like, there'd be 45, 50 people with massively different musical tastes. Oh, yeah. And there's that many people spending money and drinking. Like, I mean, there were times where we had three, four tables going. Full tables of, of eight, nine, ten. Not bad. And, dude, thousands of dollars when we would do poker nights. And we would make dinner, and it was an event. And so I, I look at those nights, and I look at those things, and I created that way back when. And we're talking, that's like 11, 12 years ago I created that playlist originally. And every six months or so, I add a couple things. And I Built This Guy came up not long ago. I was here, and I've only been here for two months. And it came up, I was actually working on harness, And I rolled over. Cause I, wanted to I think the it. last one that I saw on your Snapchat, very nice. I just the one hanging on the it's on there. Yeah, that's actually people don't know about my harnesses. Um, I started doing the harnesses in like ninety nine two thousand. Oh, I was okay. doing a lot of leather and, and things like that. I Before just, my time, <laughs> I really got into it as I was getting into kind of my. I was a late bloomer, not for lack of sure. trying. I I tried to get late, but I looked like Shrek, so it didn't work. <laughs> Um, You're beautiful. Don't ever let anybody tell you different. I'm beautiful to people who like toads or lizards. It's very odd. Um, for people who don't know me, who don't you know how many chicks are into reptiles, man? It's crazy. That's true, that's true. I mean, but it's the number of people who, they, if they talk to me first, there's an attraction. But like, my last major relationship, we talked for five months before she was like, all right, I'm going to video chat you because I don't know what the fuck you look like. Ooh. And if you don't answer, I'm never talking to you again. And I was like, and I was what an ultimatum. Yeah, well, dude, it was, <laughs> it was terrifying. I, ooh, I was terrified. I didn't like that at all. But it was one of those moments where I'm like, fuck, I've, I've never actually been in this position. Like, I don't, I don't meet people online. I don't do dating and stuff like that. But we've been friends, and it was developing something else. So she's sure. like, all right, I gotta know. She found me attractive because she was already attracted to my voice, mm. which this podcast has taught me. There's some, there's some breaks. Oh, I'm sure. There's people that like, they're out there. Oh, they love. <laughs> they crank up my voice and do stuff, and they'll they'll tell me, hey, "Yeah, I totally like play your podcast while I get laid." I'm like, "Why would you do that?" <laughs> I would take that as the biggest compliment, though. No, it is. It, it, I, I, I really do. Like when people hear me sing, and they're like, "What the fuck was that?" Like that was so hot. I'm like, "I'm not good." So I love that. Like I, that kind of stuff. So I get how attraction isn't just physical. Even oh, physical sure. attraction isn't just eyesight. It's it's beyond that. Some people smell good to me, and I'm just like, oh. Dude, yeah. I had a girl who dated me for seven months solely off of the fact that I have what's called a swoop. 
in my nose bone you do, structure. You do, you, do, you, do have, you do have a nice profile. Thank you. Sir. So, it's weird. So it's I'm weird, sure. for I'm sure. a very late bloomer. I didn't, um, I didn't do a lot of experimenting until I was really in my senior year of high school and was a great girl that I'm still really good friends. I'm friends with all of my exes but one, which blows my mind. Because it's most, I think. I, I, I mean, all I like of to think I am. I am. I'm, I'm, <laughs> Maybe in their mind, not I, so I much. I talked to one, two, three of them yesterday alone, and, and one more today. Nice. Like, I, I, I actually, like, we keep up, we talk, we check on stuff. So that's actually really cool. That's very cool. I dig the fuck out of that. So that being said, like, she was very into, like, she was, I don't want to say she was vanilla or anything either. She was like, let's try some. She liked exhibitionism. Ooh. She likes different things like that. I really... I really, really, really enjoyed that. I, she was fun. We did a lot of manual stuff, but, but we were both virgins. And we did lose our virginities to each other, but it was like way into the relationship, like two and a half years in the relationship. So I was like 20, when I, like ni late 19, almost 20 when I lost my virginity. Oof. But I can relate to that. in my head, because of the way my art works, the music, the experiences, going touring concerts, things like that, I had seen some shit. Sure. And I had talked to some shit and of course wanting to be a journalist and then getting into art photography and getting things like that. I really genuinely discovered that I had an affinity for the BDSM, SNM side of things. Back then it was SNM and now it's BDSM. Yeah. But, and so I started doing leather work. I started doing stuff. Just kind of like rich people in Aspen would be like, make me a couple wristbands for a punk show. And then sure. it, and it turned into harnesses and masks and things like that. And then when I started realizing here when I was in machinery cell that I liked wearing masks myself, like I like the half mask look. I like the fucking, I wore them a lot. And it turned into, like when I came down here, I stopped wearing masks. I really, that's why when, when the pandemic hit, people were like, we gotta wear masks. I'm like, it's my time. It's my time. I'm just, I am so in for this. Like, I, was, I literally looked at my wall and I've got, I've got 30 fucking choices. Respirators and shit that I've modded over the years. So I was excited. Totally. And I've made some really cool shit. I made a bunch of, of, of bondage masks with a zipper and an inside filter so people could still do karaoke and sing and be safe, but look like they were the gimp from fucking, <laughs> from, from fucking Pulp Fiction. Oof. What a suit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, what I, a scene. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I loved it. I love that thing. And so the harnesses that I do now as part of the clothing line, because I started the clothing line with, with David uh, that owned Caesar Revolution. Oh, actually, right. It was his, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was his idea. And he was like, you're a photography. We do this. We do that. He developed. He taught me some new design styles. Some new, I mean, we, I love working with him. And early on, that's what it was. We had two, three, four designs. But he and I never could. Like, I would be like, let's do this. He goes, no, we can't. I don't like that. It's the, the aesthetics offer. It's not our style. It's not this. And it just, and then he never went anywhere. Hmm. It just petered out. So a couple years ago, when I started realizing that I had an, a vision of certain garments that I wanted models to wear in images I wanted to shoot for me, for my books or for stories or something. I just saw, and I was like, fuck, I could do this. So I did more research. Obviously I want to go vegan. I want to go hyperallergenic. I'm much more conscious now. And I'm not as much into the punk scene and the, the spiked collars and things like that. I'm still doing. Sure. I do a lot of custom work. I made probably 15 custom masks. I'm doing two right now for a buddy of mine. I actually need to get them finished and shipped this week. I love that stuff. But for me, it was, I, it's, it's inspired by someone. I'll see something 
and it'll it's weird like you ever you know when you're just like driving along I'm certain I'm 100% certain you do this you'll be driving and there will be a rhythm on the road and suddenly you'll have a guitar riff in your head oh yeah okay uh, I feel you there imagine that I'm a visual yeah that's what it is I just have a visual and it's like it's like being smacked in the brain all these harnesses are designed off of a specific person hmm it's an image I have of them in my head like specifically their facial structure or just some like it's facial structure some of it's their attitude some of it like oh, I can definitely one, see attitude. the first one it was the Aries and the Aries I actually I've never told anybody this this is interesting Ooh, look at me um the Aries was actually designed after my last major relationship. And to be honest with you, I owe her some money. We'll get into that for in a minute. But that set is a chain set that goes around the throat and locks in the front. Two real strong uh, straps down the front. And then it's just like rib cage cut. It's a halter setup. Hmm. It's very simple, but it's very strong. It's very prominent. And it's when I realized I loved this woman that I want, I actually want to spend the rest of my life with her. And I said, I, she knows that. Everybody think knows that. I really had intended to marry and be with her. Billion reasons why that was a bad idea. I will say that. Bit more for her than me. But billions of reasons why that was a bad idea. And yet, I still look at it and go, she's an Aries. And this just said Aries to me. This said, this is what you want to do. This is who you should be. And I really took that to heart. And so that was what came to me. I decided with that first one, and then the second one, which is this five-pointed, it's a trip how I came up with that one. It, it was actually designed off of four different models. So that's the one that I'm like, I can't credit somebody with that one. I can't just give that to somebody. I can't be like, this is yours. I'm sorry, this is yours. This is how it will be. I can't do it. I want to, but that's the one that I feel kind of bad about because I sell most of it, and I don't know who to give the money to. But I take 50% of all the profit from any harness that I build or any set that I build inspired by that person, and I gave it to that model. It's very cool. Don't have to do shit for it. It's just, it's there. They inspired it. It wouldn't exist without them. I do the same with my prints. If I sell a print, 50% of my profit goes to the mall. The shirts that I print, that are have different, 50% of profit. I wish I could say it was 50% of sale price, but I have to do 50% of profit or I'd be real broke. True. Because my shit's not cheap. I imagine not. I mean, my average harness is 90 bucks to put in just a harness, like a full set's 150, 160 bucks. That's what I sell them for. But 90 bucks of that is cost. True. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, that harness alone that I put on Snap the other night, there's there's 64 rivets and they're black rivets. So there's 64 black rivets in that. That's two and a half boxes of rivets. And the rivets are are four to five dollars a box. So just in rivets, there's fifteen dollars in that. That's just the rivets. That's not the straps, that's not the cuts, that's not any of the time. That's not any of the steel rings or any of that. Just the rivets. Yeah. But that's why I do it that way. And I and I do, I like being inspired. I have the thing that's getting weird is I have two that are inspired by kind of semi-celebrities. And I don't know how I'm gonna play this because I'm not the guy who's like, hey, this is inspired by you. Make me famous. I don't want that. I've actually contacted one girl's agent and talked about how, how to do it. And he's like, this is interesting. I don't know how to do this either, but let me let me noodle on it. And he's he's really cool. But uh, I don't know if you know you're I mean you're not really on TikTok or anything. But 
Olivia Ponton became this really big TikTok star and then now big on Instagram and now a really big model. Like, covers some magazines, doing some makeup lines. She's got, like, Boohoo does some stuff with her. She's got her own clothing divisions. Like, she's she's killing it. This girl will post on Snapchat and Instagram when she's got her zit cream on, when she's feeling like she's nobody, like she's nothing, when her hair's fucked up, when she's going through something emotionally. She's so honest. She's not a model. She's a personality. I feel like that's so much more important to you in that field. Because I mean, it it brings out so much more of your real true self, you know? Modeling changed so much because of social media. Agreed. Facebook just, just changed the whole game. Porn changed the porn industry too, massively. And people don't realize that. They don't accept or understand that these things were I think I sent you the, the the post. I don't know if I did or not because I thought you were coming home and I didn't know what time you were awake. But it literally like this was our our search for porn in the in the '90s and it was a, a kitchen counter and under the mattress and it was the, the, by the top of the closet. Like that's what that's how you went and looked for porn. And my, that was your of, porn search. One of my favorite memes is like if you wanted to see a picture of a raccoon, like. 20 years ago, you had to go to a library. Yeah, go to a library. And and if you wanted to see a picture of a raccoon in a party hat, forget about it. Yeah, it didn't exist. It didn't exist. No, it didn't. And now, type it, there's 4,000 of them. Absolutely. You could could scroll for 30 minutes going, well, that party hat's got, nah, I don't like, let's use this one. Can we Photoshop so that it's red? More of the green one with the fringes? Yeah, yeah. I like the one with the tutu, though. Well, we could put them together in the same picture. We get best of both worlds. You can do that shit now. Oh, absolutely. That didn't exist. When I when I told my son the first time I was older than the internet, he didn't move <laughs> for like 30 minutes. He just sat and looked at me at the kitchen table and tried to wrap his head around that. <laughs> when I go when I go places, people go nuts because I don't use my GPS. I don't use destination. I know how to fucking get there. Oh, it's it's always funny, like. I'll go with friends to Denver, like from here to Denver, yeah. right? And they'll have to bring up their GPS. I'm like, w- w- why? Get on I 70, <laughs> turn right, go through the mountains, yeah. Denver. You can't miss it. <laughs> you can go to Philly. Yeah. Like, Get on I 70, take a right, keep going. Yeah, like Philadelphia. It's, it's incredible, like because I've spent so much time doing wilderness stuff that like the, it's it's so second nature to me, like navigation, like yeah, out navigating through is. any any yeah. any means. You know, there's multiple means to figure out what directions which, and you know, like I'll meet some of these people who are just like, which way is north? And I'm just, I'm just sitting there like, what? <laughs> yeah. People like I'm so feng shui. I'm so feng shui. You go in their apartment like, bitch, you <laughs> you're fucking backwards. That's north. Because I I'm big on it in buildings. So when I was in jail, I don't know why that bothered me so much, but I had to know where everything was outside since I couldn't see it. So I have to figure out, okay, that's, that's the mason, that's so crazy. I have to figure that out or I don't feel right. Fair. I don't feel human. And, and being institutionalized, I already have an issue with that. I already have like, I don't like this. I don't like this concept of being locked away. Fuck you. So that being said, um, the game changing as much as it has because of social media and like I hate they used to call it a news feed because people thought it was news. 
Oof. Just because it's on there doesn't mean it's real. I said I have probably said that on this podcast twenty times, and yeah, people still like. Oh, say twenty still, more. How are you still down on Facebook, man? I, here's the thing: last February, January, February, I stopped scrolling on Facebook. When I log into Facebook, I go directly to my to my business pages or whatever. That's what I do. I don't go scroll through and see drama. I don't fucking go on and respond to a bunch of people. I don't make comments. I've got. 20 to 25 people that, that I want to see what they're up to and I have them at the top so if one of them pops up I'll look at that one at a time I don't scroll beyond the first post I think I'm one of the few people who still use Facebook for what it was still originally intended for like I'll use it to true um, I'll use it to I mean mostly yeah. I, I, uh, to look up on some of my friends you know I, I grew up in a different state you know yeah. I, I've lived all over and I've, I made a lot of good friends in those places. And, you know, I'll look them up. Like, as soon as I get on Facebook, I'll type their name in, and I'll look at pictures that they posted recently. And then I'll message them, like, hey, man, how was that? No, you know? that, And start that dialogue. It's those people that I still check up on. Or I send messages <clears throat> to to make sure, like, so music people, friends of mine, people like that. There's 20, 25 that I keep up top, and then there's people, that's exactly it. Like, I don't have a lot of family. I, and it used to be Facebook that I kept in touch with my sister. Now it's Instagram. Because she's she's a visual artist, I do all of it. So we trade most of our information. We send links and stuff through, through Instagram, or we text. But I'm still one of those people. Like I will call people to check out. Oh yeah. And and people think I, I have a I I had the best conversation with the girl who inspired that that set right there. I called her when I was in Denver a few weeks back. She was really freaking out about her car and some other stuff. And I called just say hey, don't spend that money. Let's look at it, see what we do. Let's say this part, this, that, and the other. I don't think that, I think they're trying to steal from you, basically. Sure. I said, I don't want to second guess. I mean, like, some mechanics are really reputable, but you talk to two, and they give you very different prices, and both of them seem really high. I don't like any of this. Let's talk. And we talked for a few minutes, and then it got into God, I forget why it's fun to talk to you, because you actually, like, you're not trying to fix me. You're not trying to tell me what to do. You're like, let's look at options so you have something other than, oh, my God, I need $4,000. It calmed me down and had me thinking about, okay, there's other options. And I do that with people because that's how I am. Like, I, I knew, I knew my daughter had celiac disease. I had self-diagnosed it. We had kind of proven it through treatment and changing out her food and her diet. She did better. I knew it. When we went and got the biopsy in Denver and they confirmed it, on the drive home, it was about veil pass before I stopped going, my, my daughter's going to starve. And I realized, French fries. Baked potatoes, corn chips, fucking vegetables, fruit, and I just—it took that long for me. Sure. To, I am an idiot. There's so much that doesn't include. There's, I there's a lot. Out. But it took me an hour, hour and a half of that drive, already knowing, before my brain went, "Fuck ass, think." Dude, that's that's still. That's still hard news to hear. Yeah. You know. Yeah. For sure, especially coming from a medical professional, because I mean. Even though you tell yourself over and over and over again, this is what it is, I know this is what it is, hearing the man say it to you, yeah, that's when it hits. That's when it hits home. No, absolutely. And it was hard. That's what I do with people. I don't try to fix anyone. Somebody calls me for help. I help them. Please tell me no if I can't. Oh, no, go ahead. Can I? Okay. I got the door open right So, no, this is, it was just one of those where I, I really didn't know. I don't know how to help anybody except to kind of help them find their way. Because you can always go and just do this. 
And, and most of the people I know, they're assholes. They'll ask a question, I'll give them advice. They don't, they don't use it. Okay, cool. You know what? You don't want to use it interactive. That's fine. I think the most important way we as a society grows is by learning from others, is by hearing people out for their opinions, you know? And uh, I've been in a supervisory role for a while now, you know, for a few years. It's not a while, but I guess in my time span, that's a while. Going on a 30-year lifespan. True. That's substantial. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So... You have to listen to people. You have to understand that not everybody's going to have the same take. They're not going to have the same ideas. You have to do that. I've done that as a, as a boss. I've done that as an employee. I've done that as a friend. That's been my key. And we ended up talking for two and a half hours. I was on the phone with this girl. And finally, I was like, I'm going to have to hang up with you or we're going to talk all night. And she's like, I was just thinking the same thing. Like, oh, my God. Like, and we, it was random. It was just all over the place talking about all sorts of things. And she's a person who she is down on herself. She does not feel like she's doing And she inspires me every single fucking day. Every single day she inspires me. It's good people to keep around. Yeah. And, and I check up on her. And sometimes she doesn't respond for days. And she's like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, nah, fuck that. I have friends that I don't talk to for months. But when we start talking, it's like we just spoke yesterday. Mm-hmm. You are one of those people. We will talk, go, not talk for a year. And then it'll be around. Hey, man. <laughs> I was thinking this. Fuck yeah, let's do it. Like. There are those people that you just experience that with and you live that life with. And when when those people inspire things and they teach me stuff, like I keep in touch with them on Snapchat or I keep in touch with them on, you know, random, there's different ways that I talk to everybody. But you find that's what Facebook, that's what Twitter, that's what these things were originally intended for was communication. Sure. Not, this is what I'm eating. This is where I'm going. This is what I'm drinking. I'm self-important. You know, and I think a lot of it too is I found myself when I was just scrolling through, I found myself being the most like internally deprived and like depressed. Yeah. Because I would see other people and, you know, living their lives. You get jealous or you Ab- get upset. Like, I, why don't I Absolutely. Have that? Like, or well, I'll just get like. Or get down on yourself. Absolutely. Like, why, why don't I don't have that? You know, it'll be my friends who are, you know, maybe younger than me, just bought a brand new truck or something like that. You know, it's just like. Well, the number of times how many Shit. people have looked at you and been like, "Fuck, why do you have what you have?" And of course, I never, th- I never think that way. I know, you <laughs> know, I know, you know, but I mean, the thing, of course, in my brain goes, "You're a fucking engineer. Like, you're you're intelligent. You've been a boss. You know this stuff. You are these things. I know why you have what you have. It, it makes <laughs> you know like more me. than me. <laughs> but, that, but that's just it. Is while you looked at you look at yourself like, "Why am I not? Why am I? Not? I'm looking at you like, God damn, I'm proud. I'm proud to know you. I'm proud to know what you do. Oh, and, and whereas you." You probably see that glass ceiling. And I talk about that a lot. When people get to the glass ceiling and, and, and they're like, fuck, I, can't, I don't know where I can go from here. I don't know if I can get better than this. What do I do? Do I jump to another ladder? Do I break through the glass? What do I do? What do I do? You know, nobody ever goes, holy fuck, I've come a long way. That's a long way down from where I started. That's a good perspective. I, I dig that. Nobody does that. And, and everybody looks at the other ladder. Well, that ladder's taller. That ladder's easier to climb. That's a fucking escalator, you fucking bitch. <laughs> My whole life, I feel like, has been shoots and ladders, especially this last couple years. Especially when the pandemic hit, you know, I yeah. took a big pay cut, you know, I started dipping more into my savings and that's when I kind of had to realize for myself, like, okay, what other skill sets do I have? And that's why I got a hold of my good buddy, Joe Barton, owns Yellowstone, yeah. and, you know, he was more than happy to be like, hey man, spend 20 days on a mountain, I'll make up for everything you lost this past four months. 
And, and this, well, I said, okay. Like, you were almost a cop. <laughs> Funny how the turns table. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was right there. Too. No, like I, days I went, away. I don't know. I was a, a day away. I didn't really was a day. I knew. It yeah, was I was that next day. I was gonna go in for because I'd already done my evaluation. Yeah, I'd already done my big questionnaire. They asked me all the kind of drugs I've done. <laughs> Good yeah. times. Uh, and all that kind of stuff, you know, they, they gave me the tour of the building and all that jazz. And, you know, I shook a bunch of people's hands and said, hey, I'll see you in two weeks. And then just, yeah, that, that's the part of that is when you told me, well, I just, did, I just made a career change. I'm like, you just, mate, what? <laughs> I was very confused. I won't lie. But I loved it. I fucking loved every moment of it. Because I think that that's, that's what makes people interesting. That's what makes people fun. And, yeah, so you went from almost being a cop to... I mean, you're back in the oil industry now. And, I, I mean, I know, I, what I saw, like I said, I, watching you the last few days, like, that, that day in your truck, man, you looked haggard. Oh, yeah, that was, that was after uh, 28 hours straight. Because I'd, uh, I'd worked from 7 in the morning to 7 at night, and then they asked me, well, th this is a whole other story, our, our night supervisor had gotten fired. <laughs> so... <laughs> Yeah, so they asked me, hey, what? can you please, like, I mean, you can nap in your truck. You know, you can get a couple hours of sleep when we run our downtime. Yeah, just make sure, just keep, keep your radio all the way up, you know, so we can yell at you till you wake up. Jesus and, and I'm a light sleeper when I'm in my truck, because I just, I'm in that mindset of like, okay, I'm going to go to sleep, yeah. but my ears open to when yeah. I hear that sound, you know. Yeah, I got you. So, you know, I, I maybe got a couple hours of sleep during some downtime. But it wasn't really sleep. It was no. more just I kind of closed my eyes and was like, oh, this is nice. You know? <laughs> my eyes but, aren't burning for a moment. Yeah, That's straight up. And, uh, yeah, I, I worked that entire night. And uh, Joe, uh, he, he came from the office up to the mountain. And he took me out to pizza at, uh, at the New York, uh, New York Pizzeria in Carbondale. Mm -hmm. Delicious. No, it's fantastic. I mean, it could have been, it could have been utter dog shit. Oh, it would have been cardboard with ketchup on it. Been but happy. oh, to me, it was the best pizza I ever had in my yeah, life. Yeah, no, it, it is legitimately so, good, though. I will say that. I agree. Yeah, but um, sponsor me. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, like uh, it's weird going from, you know, working as a quality control engineer for a major defense and aerospace firm, sitting at a desk, staring at, you know, a, an airplane part for eight hours a day clocking out mm -hmm. done easy peasy you know did that four days a week on uh on thursdays i'd work at 12 so i get my 40 hours there you go and uh yeah it was that's just kind of how I, I like to do it and after that 12 hours man, i felt like just exhausted you know just absolutely exhausted i mean mentally what you were doing is actually I, I, agreed you, know, you, you know? don't recognize that you use your brain a bunch and that muscle will wear you out Agreed. Yeah, it was it was definitely a mental fatigue that you know spread through the body, but you know I made that change to working truly a full body experience. You know, like you're you're swinging hammers, you're swinging pipe wrenches, you're putting shit together, you're tearing shit People apart. People don't realize how 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 physically taxing roughnecking is. It's you know I'm not a big dude for sure. I mean. You know, yeah. but, you know, a lot of it takes a mental fortitude. You know, a lot, I've seen a lot of dudes that are eight times my size Crap. quit out after seven days yeah, up there. You know, yeah. they're like, my bones hurt. It's like, well, it's because you're swinging your hammer wrong. 
you know, there's a sort of ingenuity to everything that goes on out there. You know, once you kind of figure that out, it makes things a lot easier. It makes things flow better. You My know? favorite and thing that I learned was if you wouldn't put your penis there, why would you put your finger there? Words to live by. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and one of the biggest things that I think a lot of people lack in the oil and gas industry is humility. Oh, definitely. Um, definitely. Nobody wants to ask for help. I'm that first guy. You know, my, after swinging hammer unions for, you know, four or five hours rigging up, you know, a power truck, my shit hurts. You know? Yeah. And I'll look to the guy next to me and be like, hey, man, take over. I'm going to go grab some water and I'll bring you one. You know? That's my, that's my way of asking for help. The other side of that, though, too, is you're not an average supervisor. You're not a fucking wear a vest, sit in a truck, watch everybody. You, you get in the trenches. I do to teach. Yeah. You know? I, I did every job that my, my field requires of me when I was there those 20 days. You know, I, I rigged up and I rigged down. I put pumps together. I put unions together. I put hoses together. I did everything that yeah. needed to be done so I could teach those around me how to do it the right way first. You know, I'd do it, and then I'd pass it off and be like, hey, you take a swing at it for a while. I'm going to grab us some waters. Yeah. You know? And you know, I made sure everybody knew. You know, I'm not that supervisor who sees some guy do it the wrong way and says, get the fuck out of here, you know? Yeah. And that, that's, that's always been my thing is I've always had kind of a, I don't want to say like a, a resentment, but a, a distaste for people who tell me what to do, but I don't feel like they've ever done it or know really what I do. Like when I worked up, especially graphic designers want to get me. Be like, can you do this? I mean, yeah, I can do that, but you don't realize what, A, how much work that is, and B, that's going to look like shit. It's my job to know that. Like, people talk to me about fonts. Use this font. Use this. I was like, no, that's not easily readable. No, that's not this. No, no, that doesn't print well. This image, this thing, can you, I love, my favorite is getting on Reddit and that, hey, can you Photoshop this? And you like, I just want to Photoshop so this dude's like not standing in the background, and then you put him in the front foreground. <laughs> I love that there's so many people on Reddit that do that, because you don't realize the skill it takes to actually... Photo manipulate something. To oh, absolutely. Like that. And I love that shit. But there's so many people that hire me that don't know what I do. Or don't know how hard it is to master something. Because they're so used to, well, just make a side chain and do this and let it do it for you. No, if you're really mastering, you got to do some work. It's meticulous, man. Yeah. It's, it's note to note sometimes. Mm -hmm. Image to image, line to line, track to track. Frame to frame. frame. <laughs> it literally is. And it's thousands of minutes per track or... Dude, doing some of the, the, the voiceover things that I've done, that shit's hard. I can imagine. Because they're like, hey, we kind of did it in mixed down. This guy's supposed to be walking into the other room. Can you fade it out? We'll grab a water real quick. Yeah, go ahead. I, I have moments where, musically, the Mesa was a big one. Where, and, it's, and, and this is the one universal that people have told me, like, yeah, you were a dick. You were hard to work for. You would yell. You would lose your temper. You would do. Like, obviously, we had financial problems. But was the first one there and the last one to leave. I turned the lights on. I turned the lights off. I was there all day, every day. I did load-ins. And it was the same thing. I remember one day I was doing a load-in. It was me and two people. It was supposed to be 11 people. Me and two people in the snow while Pinner was in the sewer with a blowtorch so we had water when nobody else on the block did. We did, did nobody had sewer. That was the commitment. I'm the fucking boss. I sit in an office, I book these, and I'm the guy doing that. That's what I love. Because no one's ever going to say, no one's ever going to work for me like, well, he doesn't work as hard as we do. He doesn't know. The fuck I don't. 
I mean, yeah, and I, I take that. I take that personally. I, I do actually take that personally. So when, when, especially in the oil field, I had a very short experience. Very short experience in oil field. I've worked with a lot of oil field companies in different aspects of photography, surveying, things like that. But actually, being in the field, tripping pipe, doing that stuff was very, very short. Simply because I couldn't commit to a company knowing full well I'm leaving in a month to go on tour. It didn't feel right to me to go like you're looking for me to make my life around this, and I, I didn't mean. Like it's not, I'll work this rig or I'll watch this well and then I'm out. Because I have other shit that is my actual priority. And yes, that makes me kind of childish. It makes me a little bit petty. Mm -hmm. But I also make the decision not to let anybody rely on me when I know I'm not reliable. And that is a, an art form. You gotta have your priorities lost. though, you know? Yeah. And back then I was making money doing music and touring and doing stuff. The same as, you know, I am, I'm always looking for work. And yeah, they look at me all the time and they're like, we can't hire you. But I get a lot of side work. Hey, there's a real estate agent who needs headshots. There's this person, can you go take pictures of this house? Can you do this? Can you build a website? Can you do a graphic? Can you do this, this graphic? Can you do this logo? Can you? It's the little side work. That's where I get all my work. And I look at the people I work with and the people that I work for. And about 80% of the people that I end up working with respect the fact that they, they know you are not my priority. I am doing this job, and if you need something, hit me up. And I'm not going to hit you up and keep doing this for you unless you approach me. Because I want to go on tour. I want to go to these tattoo conventions. I want to go to these concerts. I want to do the things that I do with my cameras, with my sound system. With That's what I do. Well, that's that's what, what you love. That's what fulfills me. Absolutely. Going and, and making harnesses and doing stuff and seeing the results. Having people do photography, making books, doing horror shoots, doing special effects, all that matters. And it takes a lot of time. Does it make me as much money as it used to? Fuck no, it doesn't. It barely makes me anything. But it will again. I'm doing all the side work to keep the lights on. Absolutely. And so when I'm working with people, especially when I have to hire somebody to like drive me or do stuff or help me out, it, that's usually what they tell me. They're like, you do everything that you want me to do. You just need to hold shit, basically, right? It's like, yes, and you're still getting paid, fuck off. Because <laughs> that's how I think bosses and management should be. And so when I was in the field, I, I learned day one, A, somebody's going to get hurt every day, maybe minor, maybe they pull a muscle or something, but somebody's going to get hurt or feel like shits every day. People are going to complain all the time, and there's going to be moments where I just want to lay down and cry. And it's simply just choosing not to let that take you over. I feel like that's oil work and mining in my mind are the greatest physical representations in labor force of what it's like to be bipolar. Sure. I mean, I could definitely attest to that. I mean, I went from working wilderness, hiking every single day, working with my hands, you know, covering 20 miles in a day with a hundred pound pack on my back or <laughs> bag on my back, you know, to, oh man, I, can, I don't think I can do this for much longer. Going back to school, getting my engineering degree and going to work for an engineering firm to where I knew I'd be sitting down and applying my, my mind mm -hmm. and not necessarily, you know, my muscles. And then after a few years of that, the kind of the yin and yang, it, that got to be monotonous and that got to be something that I can't, I don't know how much longer I can do this for. Right. I got to be, I got to do something active. 
And no, and that's I think that's that's you know, that's my point. Like you look at it's hard to find that balance, man. And, forth. and so when you do something that's that hard, the the work crab fishing is another one. Like there's so many. I would love to try that. <laughs> not what you think it is. I'll tell you that right now. It's I'd still love like to try TV it, man. It, yo, dude, it's Alaska's fucking gorgeous. I'll say that. Yeah, Alaska. The 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 amount of darkness was for me. It's so dark, so long. The days are so much shorter. I really enjoyed that. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Such a fucking vampire moment, but it's true. Uh, I just I look at a lot of those things that that people do: crab fishing, mining, oil work. You work so hard. There's there's moments where you just want to give up. You want to give up on yourself. You want to give up on everybody around you. You don't matter. Nothing. And then there's moments where you feel like you're on top of the world when you finish a project. Payday. There's those. It's it's real up and down. And. I know a lot of people that wonder, like, how do riggers make so much work? How do roughnecks make so much money? How do they do this? How do they do that? Is it really necessary? Yes. And there are a lot of other labor-intensive, in my mind, a lot of other labor-intensive jobs that you pay way better. I agree. Because Absolutely. they go through that same emotional... You, you want to know Think about... Think about first responders. Oh my god! Like that—that's always my biggest yeah. argument. Like first responders should make as much as ambulance drivers in particular, especially the ones that work for cities, not for private firms. Yeah, absolutely. They see Her- the full I—I I got to use my EMT when I was in the field. You said that. I, you said something. We talked that day. You that were... was the day I almost wanted to cry. I can see that. I did on the way home. I, I dropped him off the hospital. Yeah. It I was because mean, I mean, it—I mean—that's something that I had been. Kind of so far away from for a long time. I mean, I always keep up on it. You know, I, I yeah. renew my EMT. I, it's, I never let that lapse. But I, I'm just the fact that this kid like tried to lie to me to stay there over and over again after I'm taking his vitals. I'm seeing his blood pressure. I'm seeing his pupils. I'm seeing all the all the signs of him moving into heat stroke. He's already had heat exhaustion. You know, he's fucking ghost white. At this point, you can see every blood vessel in his eyes. You Jesus, know? his pupils are shaking. You know. Yeah, you don't. You don't fuck with the heat, and especially out there. Oh yeah, because I mean we're 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 at twelve thousand feet. Yeah, and it's, you lose oxygen, you may never yeah. gain oxygen again. You know, so I, I take him into the into uh, into our office, Jack. You know, I get some cool towels on the back of his neck. I start giving him sips of cold water, you know, and try to cool him down. And he's not getting better. You know, he, he pukes a couple of times. And I'm like, all right, get in my truck. We're going down the hill. Right. You know, and I scream down that hill. Five miles an hour, that hill's supposed to be. Doing 45. It's a dirt road. <laughs> oh, and up there. And see, I, I know that area. Like, it's, it's, Screaming it's, down that road. Yeah, and it's, well, and I hit the pavement, and I was doing 90 the rest of the way. Yep. You know, company truck, I didn't give a shit. I called Joe on my way. I was like, hey, man, that, that sensor's going to go off. And it's me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that sensor's gonna go off because I'm definitely breaking the speed limit right now. But one of your contractors is not in a good place right now, and I don't have the tools with me to help him the way I can. And that's that's just it, though. Is it? at least you did you could. What if you weren't there? Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. I was on. I'm on night shifts. I was on night shifts the whole time. Mm-hmm. Seven, uh, seven p.m. to seven a.m. So, and this kid who got heat exhaustion, he's on day shift. And he didn't get it until kind of the end of his shift. And he'd, so he'd already been having these onset symptoms for hours now. 
God damn. And so I, I get off my shift. I get relieved at, you know, at 7 a.m. Uh, I drive back to the man camp, and I dive headfirst into my bed. You know, I'm, I'm dirt tired. Yeah. So, you know, I probably just hit my deep sleep, and I hear someone fling open my door. Because I mentioned it to a couple guys, like, hey, you know, if you have any type of emergency, you know, I, I'm an EMT. I can, I can help to the best of my ability. I don't have my trauma bag with me or anything like that, but, you know, I can, I can consult the best I can. First, there's first aid kits. We can do something. Yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, I can do something. I can at least orchestrate what needs to be done. Right. So, you know, my, my bedroom door flies open, and I just kind of roll over like, wah, you know, coming out of a, a deep sleep. And all I hear is, Kevin has heat stroke. One more time. Kevin has heat stroke. We need your help. So My feet up. never hit the ground. Yeah. I'm on the top bunk, right? Mm -hmm. I landed in the hallway. Boxers. It's 32 degrees outside. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But it was, 80, it was 88 degrees during the day. Yeah. You know, mountain temperatures. Fucking oh, it's nuts up there, yeah. Crazy. So, and you know, not a cloud in the sky. The sun's been beating down on them all day. Uh, after doing my ample, uh, you know, history check on him, it turns out all this kid's been drinking all day. He's 19 years old. All, all he's been drinking all day is those uh, monster, zero-calorie monsters and nothing else. Yeah, he, he sucked down about five of them yeah. all day long. I yeah. didn't have a single drop of water. So I'm like, okay, that's why <laughs> his symptoms are onsetting so fast, you know, because he's got nothing. There's nothing else there. He's got nothing else there. And, you know, I started doing, you know, my primary evaluation on him and halfway through my primary, I'm just like, I got to get him in the truck. You know, there's nothing I can do here. He's gotta going downhill him. quick. You know? Yeah. yeah he's, there's nothing I can do here. Yeah. Um, I took him to Glenwood. Yeah. So, you know, I dropped him off. You know, I, I made sure like somebody came out cause I'd called already. There's some dude waiting out there with, with a wheelchair. Good. Yeah, they got him in there. They they stuck him with an IV, and they got him in. A, you know, they got him in a bed, and that that's where I left him. Yeah, but so. I mean, that's at that point. What else you can do? But man, it was it was crazy because after I had you know ran out of you know the man camp, everyone was just kind of standing around him, like you know. Whoa. Dude, that that drives like, me nuts. Like, what do I so do? Common. It's so fucking common yeah. that people don't know what the fuck to do. Yeah, it's like, what would you do? That's the easiest way to evaluate somebody who's in a, uh, an emergency situation. What would you like to have done to you in that situation? Yes. You know? And that, that's probably the right answer. You know? Uh, cold towels, you know, do this. Yeah, cool out. them down. Their cool internal down. body temperature is slowly killing them. Yeah. You know? Well, hypothermia. Yeah. People go with hypothermia, like they start shivering. It was like, oh, they're fucked. No, they're dying. Yeah, that that is your body actively dying. Yeah, you're dying <laughs> in front of them. They warm them up. Do something. Everybody get naked and, and cuddle. Something. <laughs> Jesus. I. But okay. And this isn't just oil filled. This isn't so. So many people do not know basic medical. In school, we're taught For... to stop, drop, and roll. Like right. Like we're gonna be on fire all the time. Yeah. It... They don't, check, tell, they don't teach kids how to check a pulse. Yeah. And, and it's very simple. It, what blood pressure In EMT is. class, it, it's your ABCs. Yeah. You know, it's your airway, your breathing, your circulation. Deformities, environment. 
you know, it's very simple. That's your, that's your whole, your primary assessment when you show up. Are they breathing? Yeah. Well, they're breathing? Okay, cool. Or, well, sorry. Is their airway clear? Yeah. Can they breathe? Yes? Cool. Are they breathing? Mm -hmm. Yes? Cool. Are they bleeding? Circulation. Now, do you see bruising happening? Are they bleeding internally? Yeah. You know? You know, you can break it down simply like that. And that's how you save someone's life. Yeah. Or at least know that they need higher care. Maybe maybe not save their life, but slow down the process of death even. Absolutely. So that maybe somebody who can't save their life gets there. That's the stuff that kills me is, is that so many people, it's any basic first aid. You know, I have people all the time, and I don't know why. It, there are these wonderful things called search engines. And yet, every day, and I am not kidding, every single day of my life, Someone calls, texts something to ask me a question that they could easily look up themselves. Now, I hate to be that guy to be like, Google it. But sometimes, man, you should Google it. Well, I, here's the thing. <laughs> I have this rule, and, and Drummer used to say it all the time. He'd be like, hey, Google. And he would call me, and I knew the second he had some random question. And his role was really fun, because he wanted to see if I knew something really obscure. Sure. Like, where was ketchup invented? China. Fuck you. Really? Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I, I know, I, okay, I'm not Jeopardy smart. Sure. I'm not Jeopardy smart. I, I couldn't do what you do, the engineers. Nope. I, I'm good at math. It's easy, man. I'm good at math, but there's some things I can't apply to. But stupid shit that no one needs to know, trivial pursuit, or going to fucking, you know, doing drunk trivia, I kill it. Fucking murder. I fucking murder. I am so good at that shit, because I know stupid shit nobody needs to know. <laughs> I, I was in school. I, it was always like they put me on the team that was like, we're going to go as a science team, and you're like our, what the fuck is that question guy? And I'm sitting there not really paying attention. It's a weird one. Aaron Burr! Aaron Burr! Yeah, like, I just, I knew shit like that. <laughs> weird commercial stuff or like any like weird 60s trivia or like Star Trek question. I just know weird shit. And the best part, my, my friend one arm Doug, he's like the opposite side of me. So what I don't know, I can hit him up, and he usually knows it. And we've been doing that for years. Very cool. Like, it's funny as fuck. So every single day, somebody asks me something stupid. And the one, that, the one question that I get at least monthly, if not more often, at least monthly, I would say 14 to 15 times a year is, how long can you survive without water? Or how can you survive without food? Rule of threes. You can say three minutes without air, three days without water, three weeks without food. Pretty simple. I don't even know why I learned that in sixth fucking grade, but I did. I had a teacher tell us that, a science teacher told us that, and I've never good. forgotten it. It's a good science teacher. It was not part of the lesson, it was not just said, hey, just so you know. And I've never forgotten it. The reason I'm such a grammar stickler is that if you fuck up words in English and someone in another language tries to read it, you can really cause some problems. Because simple changes in English like are major problems. changes, yeah. batshit problems in other languages. I learned that in fourth grade. Hmm. So yeah, I started taking spelling and grammar and punctuation really fucking seriously. Those kinds of things, basic first aid. I, I think like explaining blood pressure, explaining and there are those people that's like, when you tell them like the air pressure in their tires, that's a fun one because I do a lot of car maintenance for my friends. I love cars. I love doing it. They know that they can come by and hang out and I teach them what I'm doing as I do it. It's not like I'm Absolutely. like, let me do it for you. It's like, Hey, this is how you check this. This is how you fill your tires. This is how you check. 
the concept of pounds of air is very hard for many people to comprehend. So, <laughs> as kind of a caveat from that, I did the same thing when I was doing my primary evaluation on, on Kevin in the field. I was telling everyone around me what, what I was doing, doing because it kind of gives me a little bit of peace of mind. It kind of keeps me calm, you know? Well, for one, I, I'm the, sometimes just saying it out loud, it's like you're, you're refreshing yourself. Absolutely. You know, because I mean, I haven't practiced it in years, years, years. for sure. Yeah. You know, I, especially having to physically do it, you know, to right. actually have to do it in a emergency situation. Like, sure. I've done like in-service type of stuff where we practice on dummies and shit like that, or you know, we'll use some makeup and make internal bleeding type of things. Where Absolutely. We have to identify kind of what's going on with the person and through a primary evaluation and whatnot. Uh, but that's all, you know, you can, you, can, you can sit back and laugh during those moments, you know? Yeah, it's not serious. It's, like, it's oh, not actual life-threatening. Brad's fucked up. You know, yeah. you, you, know you can have no, those kind well, of laughing like moments. the number of times, I, I, the, that episode of The Office where they have to do CPR, I feel bad laughing because I've had to go to those those classes before I did and I had CPR training, you have to do all stuff, but keeping the certifications up. But the way that they act and the things that they do, um I die every day. I laugh so fucking hard because I'm like, they really aren't taking it seriously. They really don't give a fuck. And I would I would probably fire everybody if I was actually in charge of that. <laughs> but then I think about I'm pretty sure that I've never been to a CPR class where somebody wasn't dry humping a, a dummy. Sure. But when I went to my uh my like basic first aid CPR class, like when I uh, recertified for it, or even when you take your EMT again, you still have to yeah. recertify your CPR card. Um, sure, you know the dude plays on a uh, what's that fucking song? Um, the song that does like the perfect beats per minute for it. Um, it'll fucking come to me. Yeah, but uh, it, it's that song, you know, and everyone's singing it aloud, you know. It's, it's, it, it's funny, you know, yeah, no, we, we make light of a serious yeah. situation. Well, it's like when you go to an anatomy course, inevitably somebody's going to fuck with that or, or they're going <laughs> to grab the skeleton and, hey, here's my, da, da, da. you know, there's those moments. Everything has a moment of levity. Sure. Everything. I am that person in really serious situations. I will crack the inappropriate joke. It's part of why, it's originally why I didn't go to funerals because I am the guy who will make really inappropriate comments and then it turned into, I just really fucking hate funerals, so. But I the same at weddings. <laughs> I, I you know there is an embarrassing story. I am the guy who wraps the fucking groom's gift in, in porn, just to start a fight. Beautiful. Um, I will if the the embarrassing thing from third grade that you thought no one knew. I'm telling that story to everyone, especially mom and dad of the bride. I'm that guy. I can't help it. So people don't invite me to weddings very often because they know that. And they know that if they invite me and I'm not a part of the actual wedding party, I'm probably going to wreak havoc. Yeah, I'm going to interject myself somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I will take the embarrassing photos. I will do, and I will release them <laughs> because that's who I am. I, there, I saw the other day, I was thinking TikToks with the lady like, man, the next one that leaves, I'm going with them because I'm sick of my shit too. Felt that I was like, man. There are a lot of times where I'm just like, man, fuck me. I don't even like me. I, I'm, I'm going with y'all. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I get it. So there are those things. I am inappropriate at times, but when there's a really serious situation going on, especially like the, the, the few times, and, and it sounds sick that I've been there so many times at people's last moments or at a time when they're really wounded. Um, my friend Mike, when his fingers got cut off, I was cracking jokes about. Well, I mean, you never learn piano. Maybe this is karma. I don't know what the fuck I said that to him. But he laughed for like 10 minutes. Sure. He was cracking up. He's like, you were such an asshole. I can't believe you fucking said that to me. Like, 
We watched a dude die, jump off a fucking bridge and plummet to the ground 90 feet below us. Just jump the fuck off right in front of us. And we're all just kind of looking there and I was like, that's not base jumping. And everybody kind of, fuck, dude, what the Because none of us were breathing. Like, yeah. we were in shock. And I was like, God, who's got a cell phone? Who's got a cell phone? We got to call somebody. When you're dealing, and this is something that was told to me by my instructor, when you're dealing with a traumatic injury, like something that could put somebody into shock, it's very important to keep talking to them. Yeah. You know, whatever that dialogue may be, you know, like, it, it was funny. Uh, our instructor Tony, fucking coolest dude in the world. He'd wear Tony the Tiger shirts. <laughs> nice. Always um, you know, he'd always uh, he'd always do this thing, where as he's doing his primary evaluation, he would throw in the "You're you're so brave," and, and like and just in random at random times while he was doing his evaluation <laughs> stuff, like great. he'd be putting the he'd be putting the traction splint on, pulling their fucking their leg into place and be like you're being so brave right now buddy (laughs) like that just interjecting these kind of funny little one-liners and stuff like that and finally somebody asked him like would you do that during this real situation he said absolutely there's an emt that got interviewed and i i want to say chicago but it might have been detroit (sighs) what a fucking place to be in oh dude yeah right like like holy shit um he got interviewed and this was back in like 2002, 2003, and the story's always stuck with me, that he he's this very attractive EMT. He's kind of ripped and cool looking course, and everything. And, and everybody's always like, you need to be in the firefighter calendar. You need to be in He's like, that's not what I'm here for. But he said there's times where he will flirt sure. with, with people to keep them kind of giggling and laughing and keep them in the moment. And they said, does that ever work in a way that you don't expect? Because the best one is I just administered some narcotics for a guy who was in pain. His leg was caught between the wheel and the wheel well, and it was caught there. And I was talking, and we just administered, and they had to lift the vehicle. They had to, they had to brace it first, make sure it was moving, and then lift it off because we couldn't just pull him out. And he said, maybe it's just the drugs, but, man, you are beautiful. <laughs> he said, well, I usually don't swing that way, but you know what? Get out of here. I'll let you buy me lunch. And they ended up talking as if they were planning a date. That story has always stuck with me. Absolutely. He just, in the moment... Played the role, that, that, and they were joking. They were cracking jokes, and they were being dicks, and they were being probably very inappropriate mm-hmm. and extremely misogynistic about it. But what he's really doing is keeping his respiratory rate up, and he's keeping yeah, his mind off the fact that he is. You're not freaking. You're not dying. Messed we're up. Gonna, we're yeah. gonna get you through this. Yeah. And the thing about bugging me out stories, they never said whether the guy lived. I'm assuming if he died, they would have included that in the story, or because I'm the negative guy, or the fact that if he didn't, they didn't want to make the story a downer. But that stuck with me for almost 20 years now, that story. And those moments when somebody gets like really hurt, like when you accidentally clock somebody in the head with something, you go to throw in something and it just like smacks their face. (laughs) That moment of, I'm going to make this funny now. Like with kids, when a little kid falls, nobody cry, nobody freak out. Don't do shit. Don't stand up. Don't. No. Until they cry, they're fine. Nothing just happened. It's that same mentality, but adult. If you can keep somebody doing what they need to to keep going, and you don't give them that, that sense of doom, that's a huge, huge part of it. And I think that's, that's why, like, for me, I've, I've always been kind of oddly comfortable with being a prick in bad situations. But I think that that's part of it, is there's, there are those people that say things like, you're being brave, or, man, I can never do what you're going through. Holy shit, look how tough you are. Or, you know, 
that's not how you park a car or, you know, <laughs> saying those things that gets them talking and, and asking questions and paying attention and, and distracted. Distraction's key. Absolutely. But they don't, te- they, that's not taught in schools. That's yeah. not taught, you know, when, that's why those guys were standing around with their thumbs in their asses, not knowing what the fuck to do because no one's ever told them, okay, in a crisis, here's what you need to do. The only guy who did what he's supposed to do was come get you. True. <laughs> yeah. I guess the only reason they didn't get me faster is they didn't realize what room I was sleeping in. I guess they busted down like three doors before they got to me. <laughs> okay, I like that. I yeah. kind of like that. They're like, they're just like, hey, get... Sorry. Sorry, Steve. Go back to bed. Uh, <laughs> what happened? Of course, then those guys wake up like, why the fuck did I get woke up? And they find out what happened. They feel like dicks. Also quality. Mm. Oh, yeah. Everyone, everyone was awake at that moment. Like when I was getting him into the car, there's probably 20 dudes, almost the whole pad. Of dudes kind of just like standing around like, it's going to be okay, you know? Yeah. Well, and in a situation like that, when normally on a rig or a fishing boat or a mine, it's because somebody was hurt. Hurt from an injury be, being on the docks if something falls and breaks your leg. You broke your leg. Heat stroke or anaphylactic shock. Or the things that you can't see—that's scary. True, because the questions running through everyone's mind is what's going on. You know, it's not visually apparent to them. Yeah. You know, there isn't a bone sticking out of his leg, so it's like, oh, okay, he, that's what's wrong. Yeah. Or you know, he, his neck isn't—you know—backwards. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh shit, you know, that's what's wrong. You know, it's something that he's just—you know—he's breathing heavy. He can't complete a full sentence. You know, he's. Ghost white, bloodshot eyes. You know, he, he, if it was anybody else, it kind of looks a little hungover. There you go. You know? And Did you pop a pill, bro? Do a little blow? Try yeah. to keep yourself up? Methan sure. out? You know, those sure. kinds of you things. Know? Those kinds of things so that's come up. probably more. going through everyone's mind, but they don't realize, no. That's, that's, <laughs> that's not at all what's going on. It's just the knowing what to recognize. Yeah. That's the thing that, 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 but okay. Take that a step further. I feel like that is the case in most police involved injuries. When a cop hits somebody or responds to somebody not recognizing when they're having a mental or emotional breakdown, they're just crazy. They're drugged up. They're this, they're that. I think over the years, it has turned into a normal situation of you just spend more time focusing on detaining the person than why do I need to detain this person? And there are cities changing that. I will give it, like, especially after a lot of the things with, with, with Black Lives Matter and, and things of that. I mean, that I do not prescribe necessarily to all cops are bad. I know some great cops. I know I have some friends who are cops. But I also tend to not trust the conservatory in any way. I don't. I have a problem with something. I mean, you've been a cop. You've been a great cop. Because you're not a jock. You don't have some superior complex. You would literally walk into a situation and, and, and analyze and evaluate before you took any action. You're not a shoot first, ask questions two weeks later kind of guy. So, like, when I talked earlier about, like, the ABCs of health, you know, the, the last one on that list is the environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a firm believer that that should be the first one. You know, you can tell a lot about, about what's going on in a scene by what's around you know smell hear, sight absolutely use your senses you know like does it smell a little fuggy is there carbon monoxide in the air is that why people are acting crazy you know is that why the homeboys passed out in the corner you know like there's 
a lot more that can be read from the scene than just what is visually apparent. Mm -hmm. You know, an unconscious person on the ground, you know, or someone who is distraught, yeah. you know. What happened five minutes earlier, you know? Those are the kind of questions you need to ask yourself and then what ask led them. led to this moment. Yeah, like, and, you know, because something might be apparent to you and you immediately go, you know, well, and they always say in, in medicine and in, in, in crises, if you have beats, think horses, not zebras. And yet everybody thinks zebras. <laughs> they do. It's like, it's like inherent in nature to, to go immediately to the ridiculous. Sure. And I, that's, I think that that's something that's translated a lot. Like I, obviously I don't have the answer on what to do with police force in the United States. I don't have answers to do what to do, but one. I like that they started having social workers and mental health care workers go with police to any distressed person. Okay. I agree. Doing it in Denver and it's been working really well. As it I, should. I mean, I, yeah, they're literally, I mean, their cases of arrest, their cases of, of unlawful arrest or unlawful detainment has gone down. And most importantly, no cops have been hitting people. They haven't been tackling them and throwing them to the ground. They haven't been hurting them. People die doing that. Yeah, it's important. I mean, people are just people being people. You know, right. there's so many different personalities out there. Like, what could be aggressive to you could be perfectly common, normal to somebody else. You know, it's all. Well, and you've seen it yourself. How many times have you been working a door or something at a bar or working the club or doing something and one minute everything's great and some guys are cracking a joke and the next moment they're punching the fuck out of each other and then 10 minutes later they're buying each other beers. You know, it's the response of, hey, do we, what the fuck just happened? You see those moments and you anticipate them. There are many times where I feel like, that's why like, I have never been a huge fan of the fact that many police forces don't let people freelance and go do guard work and go, you have to, you have to fill out paperwork. You have to ask for the ability to work more and go help people in bars, clubs, private security, things like that. You have to put in requests to allow for that. I, that to me, it's like, if you are a good cop, if you are somebody who can recognize problems and diffuse situations, you're going to be a cop 24 seven, whether somebody's allowing you or paying you to do it anyway. I firmly True. believe that. Yeah. And a lot of people miss that. And it's not just, I mean, it's teachers. Yeah. Uh, my brother-in-law actually told me a story. Uh, I, was, I was up in the mountains when this happened. He was driving uh, from his home in Loma into Junction for work. And he's driving, you know, and he comes across this car on the side of the road. You know, no hazard lights on, nothing. Doors open. Leg hanging out of it. Like on I-70? Yes. Okay. And people are driving by. Just driving by, driving by, driving by. He stops. He was a ranger in the U.S. Army. He was a combat medic. Okay. You know, he stops. He gets out. He walks up to the front or, you know, the door and asks, Hey, ma'am, are you okay? There's uh, kind of an older woman in her, in her later 50s, maybe 60s. And she was unresponsive. So... He immediately goes, airway, check to see if she's breathing. She wasn't breathing. Goes for circulation, she didn't have a pulse. Jesus Christ. So, and judging by uh, swelling in the pupils and. If you got face and dilated, you know, and there's some, some you know, just kind of the little things you can see. Nature. She had been there for hours. Jesus fuck, and nobody stopped. Nobody stopped. Nobody's paying him. 
no. to stop and check on people. That was me. I've done the same thing. I've done it multiple times. And, I, and I've gotten, I am I've gotten cussed out by people who were just sitting in their car trying to take a nap. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But it's worth checking. Absolutely. Uh, when I nap, sometimes people will knock on my windows. And, I'm like, and they're always like, I'm, so, I'm like, no, thank you. Thank you. You're making sure I'm good. Absolutely, and not, yeah. It's carbon monoxide poisoning or something. Like, I get that. I, I do. I appreciate that. I, I'm very weird because I am the type of person. I don't like to get involved. I don't in any. I don't. I'm not. It's a hard choice. I'm not anti confrontation. For sure. I'm not. I'm not anti confrontation. If there's a confrontation, but I grew up with the concept that if you see something wrong and you don't do something about it, you are just as at fault as the person doing the wrongdoing. That that's kind of how I've always felt too. Especially after getting my EMT, I feel morally responsible. Like if I see an accident happen, this actually happened when I was uh, working construction. We were on our way to a job site. Uh, in Delta, and I saw some guy, you know, he, he, uh, he was in the middle lane, you know, going to turn left into some sort of business, something like that, and he just T-bones this car. Absolutely T-bones. Car spins out like three or four times. This guy's truck kind of flips onto its side, and I wasn't driving. I was in the passenger seat, and uh, our lead driving, he was just like, oh, that's crazy, and just keeps looking going forward, and I said, stop the fucking car. Yeah. And he said, we're on the clock right now. I was like, I don't give a shit. Call Chris. Stop the fucking car. Yeah. And he did, finally. And turned around. Everyone was okay. But I was the first one there. People were still just driving by. In our wreck? And I had already started calling 911, yeah. you know? In our wreck, the, the big one that was me and Cody and Skyler, a Navy medic, medic and an Air Force officer were the two people who stopped within seconds. Oh, yeah. Before, and they were making sure Skyler didn't stand. And they were the one, they gave the most lucid account of everything that happened to a point where they almost, it was almost like, because they were separated, talking to two different cops, and then they compared notes, they're like, it's the same fuck, how the fuck did they do that? It's like, that's military training. Yeah. That's what that is. It's, I'm in a crisis situation, I need to say something here. And they did. They said we couldn't have stopped. I mean, we couldn't have not stopped. It was, it was one yeah. of those things. And there were cars going by. They, everybody slowed down to almost a crawl. Not because they were looking for anywhere. They realized, somebody's out of that car, and the other cars, what the fuck, like... It was it was a it was a bad wreck, it, by far the worst I've ever been. But knowing that there were people there helping Skyler before I was even out of the vehicle helped me. Feels good. Yeah, it helped me before the cops before we heard the first siren. There were people helping. That made me feel good. I have I, my my wife and I way back you know twenty years ago when I was married. Um, my wife and I were driving in. We lived in Wichita. And I don't know if you've ever driven to Kansas. Nope. Uh, people talk about black ice in Colorado. In Kansas, that's just ice. <laughs> that's the rest. Every If it's cold, it's your car's a hockey puck. And we're driving along doing 2530 in a 65. Going pretty slow. Right. But there's other cars, and we're all kind of going the same speed limit, kind of going the same, same rate. And this one car kind of went to go past me. And it's three lanes, uh, 135 there, splits into three lanes, and we're in the middle lane, and it went past. And all of a sudden, I see the car, I see the lights start to waver, and I realize the car next to me. So I just pulled off the, the accelerator, and she turned sideways. And it was pointed at us, and then went in front of us, and then went next to us, and then slid off the side of the road. Oof. And my wife was just freaking out. How did you not hit her? How did you not? I was like, I saw her lights. That's what tipped me off was the lights, and it made me let off the accelerator. I didn't brake because I didn't want to wreck. Oh, yeah. yeah but I you'd have been in the same situation. And I pulled over. 
All the other cars kept going. I pulled over and I walked back the 50, 60 feet to her and I was like, man, are you okay? She goes, pretty sure I went backwards and looked right at you. I was like, oh yeah, we made that contact. <laughs> and she's just like... We had a Top Gun moment. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and she's like, I feel like, I didn't feel like I did anything wrong. I was like, you, you might not have. You didn't. Who knows if you did or you didn't, but nobody got hurt. Are you good to drive? She goes, oh, hell no. We gave her a lift to the next gas station and she called somebody to go get her car and help her drive home. Turns out she actually lived in North Park, not that far. She was actually two doors down from uh, BTK. That's where she lived. Uh, fun facts. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, when I look at the situations that, 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 in that situation, my wife looked at me and she was just like, why did you stop? Why did you, I mean, she screwed up. I'm like, nah, not necessarily. We don't know. We don't know what happened. Nobody got hurt and everything. I just want to make sure she was okay. She goes, why would you stop? I was like, I always stop. The people I grew up with, we always stopped. We always checked on each other. So you saw a wreck, you saw somebody, you saw a kid wreck their bike, you jumped out and you helped them. That's what you do. And maybe that's small town mentality, but when I grew up, we knew our neighbors. I never had to worry about being in trouble for my mom when I got home from school. It was the eight moms between the bus stop and my house who were going to beat my ass. I knew that growing up. It's changed a lot. I get that it changed a lot. And this is still 20 years ago. Fast forward six months, we're in Colorado, getting ready to move back. And we're driving right by Rulison Parachute, that area. Oh, yeah. And a car slids over. We see it flip. It's like Oof. 800 yards ahead of us. But we see it going up up the hill there, and it's rolling. And I immediately see, start, see smoke. Everybody starts peeling off, doing stuff, freaking out, stopping. I weave through traffic. I get as close as I can, and I pull up and stay in the fucking car. And I ran across the lanes, and I pulled people out of the car. I didn't realize what I was doing until the third person was getting out. And there was another dude on the other side doing the exact same fucking thing. We sat with them, we pulled them out, we got them moved. And yeah, I know you're not supposed to move somebody, but the car was smoking. I thought it was gonna light on fire and explode. Well, I'm a firm believer of life over Lynn. Yeah. So I would've pulled them out as well. Yeah, we pulled them out, we drive them down, we get them far, where I assume I've seen some cars blow up, so I'm like, we got pretty far away. We made sure that nobody was really bleeding, no and there's some people. I pulled my part of my shirt and like tied. The dude that, was helping on the other side, turns out had some medical training, I don't know what, but had medical training and actually had brought it. He was running with a pretty nice first aid kit. He was actually like bandaging people and doing stuff. It was like 20 minutes before the first, the ambulance got there before the state patrol did, which blew my mind. Yeah, that, that blew my mind too. And I get back to the car and my wife looked at me and she goes, that's why you stopped that night in Wichita. Cause it could have been that. Could have been that. You never know, man. People have died of fender benders. Yeah. People have lived through Rolling their car 20 times. Weirdest, weirdest death I've ever seen was a guy who fell three and a half inches and died. He was working on it. It was an Aspen. He was a, a plumber. He was working, moving some a piece of pipe fitting into place. And he slid off the concrete and hit the back of his head and died. Slid three inches. Just hit a pebble just right and it killed him. Three inches and died. While I was in the room, didn't even notice what had happened until so the other guys were yelling, like, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. Turned around and was like, oh, shit. Like, those are, that, those are weird moments. I've seen people, I've watched a, a friend of mine get hit by a fucking train. Train. Fine. Cut on his head. It, that wrecked at me and Cody and Skyler. Skyler breaks his back, breaks his pelvis, breaks his hip. All sorts of damage, cuts, has a stick basically through half his body. Oof. I break my leg, I break my ribs, I crack my sternum, I dislocate my, my collarbone, my toes are screwed up. I am fucked up. Cody got a cut on his ear and a little tiny cut on his leg, and that was it. We flipped that car over. There was no top to that car. It was 
inside the car. None of us should have lived. The fact that we're all, I mean, I'm, I'm not okay. Skyler has, he'll have back pain the rest of his life. There are days where he can barely move. But we're alive, we think. Well, of course, he said this years ago, and it's, it's fucking morbid, but he said, you ever think maybe we die in that accident and we're just in hell? And everybody's just being really nice to us about it. And I kind of went, life's all about perspectives. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's so fucking dark. <laughs> and I kind of like it. Because it is, it's dark as fuck. But, but yeah, we live, we're still doing it. And, and that's just it is when the anniversary came this year, it wasn't that big of a deal. Usually like last year, Cody called me and he kind of was just sad. I was like, what's up? And he was like, was there anything I could have done? He never asked me that. He never asked me that. I was like, fuck no, Cody. The wheel fell off. The wheel fell off the car, mechanical failure, and the airbags never went off either. In my mind, he saved our lives because he didn't freak out. He didn't overcorrect. He didn't do anything wrong. You know, it took me two years to call Jake's dad. I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. I did the same thing. I asked him, did I do enough? In those Could I have done more? In those situations, it's even harder because the night Germer died, he was at my house. We, we, well, we had rehearsal, and that was actually the first time we'd ever filmed Joe, our bass player. I told you the story, actually, that we always felt bad because like Joe was a huge part of the band, but nobody ever saw him. And then, yeah, it's the first time I filmed him. We were filming to go a little sneak peek, like, ah, there's Joe. And we we just gotten some really good tour news, and we were like really excited because we had drummer and I had been recording a bunch of shit while he was teaching Joe all the parts, and we were getting him locked in. And so, and we got a hold of the album ready to go. Like as soon as Joe was ready, he's like, we're writing this, we're writing and recording a 13 song album. It's ready to go, and nobody knew it but me and drummer. We hadn't told anybody. Not our engineers, not our mastering people, nobody. Nobody knew what the fuck we were doing. And I, I really kind of looked at that, and then we did that with a great practice. Rehearsed for like three hours. We had the coolest rehearsal space in Drummer's house. He'd written fucking sayings and shit all over. Every time something funny happened or something random happened, we'd record it on there. Posters, all sorts of shit. It was, it was more than home. It was like the one place on the planet where I was like, man, I could just stay here forever and never feel weird about it. Best band practices we ever had in... All, in uh... With, with Jason, like all the, all the musical endeavors we went through, was uh, in the storage unit. Right? It's just sweating, you're dying, you don't want to be there. Oh, so God. Fun. Some of the best times I think I might have had in my whole, my whole life were, were in that fucking 8x10 box. People don't yeah. get that. They don't get that whole commitment of, we're, yeah, we're fucking deafening each other in this little tiny metal box. Like, we get spoiled now when we sit and look with our fucking electronic kits and all the shit we got, and the fact we can turn up, turn down record, I can send you stuff and you're in another fucking city. You know, we can do that now. But when you're in a band and you got that commitment, like, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And we were all happy and having a good time. And he was going to like, I'm going to go watch the Nuggets game over Wing Nuts and see Danny. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm like, cool. Oh, he, and, he and Joe go grab a couple of beers. They watch the game. He gets Joe home. He goes down to Tiermeisters. He has a beer. He sends me a hilarious picture, hilarious picture of him with his fucking high style beer. And then the next morning, He's dead. I got to call her. When Kenny called me, he was early. I was like, how? How did that change so much from having this great time to gone? It's a blink of an eye. And I... Suicides and medical deaths 
and unsolved murders or or missing persons there to me and maybe maybe i'm not with a lot of people on this but to me those are some of the worst experiences i need to know why because i don't i'll never get every suicide i've dealt with i can't get over even when they left the note explaining what they were going through even when they've told people i can't i can't wrap it and and it, and i'm a suicidal person i have attempted and i can't understand why i've watched people get murdered i've watched people die brutal fucking deaths and i've watched people commit suicide and i still can't wrap my head around it even when i get some answers sometimes it's just not maybe it's not the answer i wanted but it's it's not enough of an answer it doesn't feel like the whole answer and i i never and the way my brain works so you think my memory is fantastic it's not truly eidetic but it's it's there I can recall lots of times what people were wearing. I can usually do a conversation verbatim, the back and forth. I can do that stuff. I've always took pride in that. But the other side of that is that there are times where I close my eyes and I see really horrible shit. Right behind my eyes, there's that guy falling or that shotgun going off. or And they don't go away. I can't make them go away. There's many, many times where I'm so grateful that my drug problems were so short-lived that I've been clean for so many fucking years. Because, man, I'd probably be one of those dudes in the corner of an alleyway fucking scratching my own skin off. And I know that. Missing persons. Fuck with me really hard. Really hard. I have a hard... And people I don't even know. I don't have to know. I just don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like the experience. I don't like what it means. I don't like when you have to fucking go through and try and explain to somebody like, well, we don't really know what happened. And maybe it was this, maybe it was that. And maybe there's this trying to piece together. The sick part is I kind of like the puzzle, but I don't like not knowing. It's like, it's like you have the pieces, but you're missing just one or two pieces, you know? Yeah. And the important ones. Like I can accept that I will never know what God means. I have my own concepts and, and sure. I have my own ideas of faith versus religion versus science versus energy versus I have my, I have what, what I'm comfortable with, what I believe. I'm okay with not knowing because we're not supposed to know. It's kind of a big thing to not care about having the answers for. I don't believe in absolute truth. That's kind of a big deal. And yet these other things haunt me, truly haunt me. I think it's that fear that you, you, you can't know? Maybe it is that. And, and maybe, maybe it is that. I, see, I don't, I don't experience fear or, 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 or doubt the way other people do. So... I mean, the fear of unknowing is one yeah. of the biggest fears you can have. See, but see, like, like when people talk about, like, I, can't, I don't want to go to the ocean, because like, I spent hours... I mean, I, I did paranormal investigating for years. I still do it sometimes, fucking around. Like, I say fucking around. Okay, disclaimer, don't fuck around and do this shit. It's yeah. real. It's not something to be played with. If you don't understand it, don't fuck with it. You know, don't go up to a fucking sleeping bear and poke it with a stick. You don't go to a fucking spirit and go, hey, I'm going to piss you off. Hey, 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 here, demon boy. Let me fucking give you something and piss you off. Fucked with in mysterious ways for 
Long time. <laughs> yeah, like, don't, you still, you know, don't fuck with that shit. But I say I fuck around. But no, like, I, I still get involved. I still look at those things. I still investigate. I'm, I'm right now planning a cemetery trip. Like, we're doing a full tour of touring some of the most notoriously haunted and dark cemeteries in the U.S. We're going to do it next spring. And there's already, like, six or seven people like, we're in. This is going to be fun as hell. We're going to load the van and we're going to fucking go. We're starting in Arizona and we're going all the way up into Maryland. Oof. It's going to be a fun one. It's going to take about 15 days. But it's going to be fun as hell. And I'm excited for it because I want to do that. And I want to take all my, all my gear and, and get my, you know, get my obelisk out and get all my gear and take my fucking red pictures and take my dark night and watch Absolutely. all these things. I love that shit, getting the parabolics out. I, alien stuff has always, since I was a little kid, fascinated the shit out of me. I agree. My family is from Salida, yeah. which is one of the, the yeah. cattle you know, yeah. mutilation capitals of the world. I grew up hearing, yeah, we saw the lights again last night. I've seen them. I've been out to Skinwalker. I've been out near Frog, you know, Blind Frog. I've looked at these places. I've been in areas where you can sit and watch lights every night. I was in L.A. and watched. I, I was. I, I, I saw what I thought was a UFO, and the next day it was on the news. I've been in those situations. There are things we don't know. And it, it, I, I can believe in those and accept that I don't know what they are. I don't know what Bigfoot is. I don't know what the Loch Ness Monster is or was, since there haven't really been that many sightings. I don't know what, you know, Champ is. I don't know, you know, if there are skunk apes. I don't know if there's Chupacabra. or I don't know. Maybe I never will. I don't feel the need to know those things. When they find new species, I'm always excited, but I'm never, like, surprised or like, well, I need to do that. I'm sure there are still at least thousands of species of plants and animals in the Amazon we've never seen. Think about our oceans. Right? Mysterious yeah. creature scene. No, it's probably just a creature. It's not that mysterious. We just think it is because we don't know what the fuck it is. And so much of our oceans is undiscovered. Like millions of creatures that we've never encountered could be just. Living their day-to-days down there. All right, Captain Engineer, let's throw this one in, because this is a fun one for me. Only a select few people have actually been to space. And it's smaller than anybody thinks, because the International Space Station is closer to the surface of the Earth than here to Denver. Oh, yeah, so a lot of people, I can put that in visual perspective. Yeah. So, let's say this is the Earth. Mm -hmm. How far do you think the International Space Station is? Right up next to it. This far? Oh, not even. This far? Not even. This far? Get closer. Oh, yeah. there. Yeah. You know? We can still see it. We can Real see close. the satellites. How, How far do you think the moon is? Comparatively. Best shoulder. Oh, there. I would say, okay, yeah. Here. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Those, those people, the Apollo missions, they've been into space. They've been into space. They've been into space. All these people, I, and don't, I do not want to knock the fact that a bunch of civilians just went into space. That's awesome. Right. I fucking dig that. Go Bezos. But, <laughs> but they went into space, not outer space. No, not very many people have actually made the, we're escaping the pull of the gravity of the planet. Very, very few people right. that, are, that are ever on this planet, much less the people that are That's what you got to think about. The International Space Station is not really in space. It's in orbit. Mm -hmm. It's traveling about, what is it, fucking 24,000 miles an oh, yeah. hour? Yeah. Ridiculous. In order velocity. to maintain escape yeah. velocity? Yeah. So, they're just on a wild, I mean, they're on a wild ride around. They're rocking without the fuel going. Yeah. That's what they're on. Absolutely. When those Apollo 
space, those astronauts went to space. They were in space. nothing. Yeah, there was no pole. One. I remember reading. Uh, oh, what was his fucking Jim Jim Lovell? Lovell Lovell? Is that his name? The Apollo thirteen captain. Oh, um. Is it Jim Lovell? God, I hope I'm not fucking that up. I know it's Jim, but I can't. Re- God damn it. I'm just being stubborn and not looking it up. I, I, the, mo- the most impert- important person I know of that whole operation is uh, Emily Marome. And she was the chief engineer who wrote all the code that sent Apollo astronauts to the moon. That stack of paper was as tall as she would. She was about 5'8". That stack of paper, I have a picture of on my phone. Where they took the... the the, the quote-unquote are black employees and then all of a sudden they started doing like god what there's a movie about it and it's amazing it's a fucking phenomenal movie i saw it when it came out and i've seen it a few times since and it's, it continues the fact that, that buzz aldrin and some of these guys are like well what she say about the math trusting them and they're like seeing the racism that was involved still even in nasa at that time at that time, the most scientifically advanced organization on the planet was still like blacks compete here in this one spot, and that's it. It's just it, it's weird, but those are the people who kept the astronauts alive. Those are the people who were part of those engineering teams and that kept it. And people don't realize when you think I think engineers, especially aerospace engineers, it's not. It's a team. Absolutely. Brilliant minds. Yeah. God, fucking. You know that so that's weird. kind of one of the things that bothers me. Uh, I mean, you've heard of Mozart. Right. Can you name a single person in his band? No. No, and that and that, sure that, he was a great musician and great composer, but, but he was backed up by yeah. a plethora. You of know people. that 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 uh, astronaut in the ocean song. Mm-hmm. You heard that? Yeah. Did you know that's a Mozart song? Is it really? He read it when he was like three. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> that's fucking serious. It's, it's one of the. It's one of his very very early pieces. And they started realizing he was a prodigy. But yeah, that song is actually the exact, it's the same melody, same harmony, everything. It's something hmm. he wrote. Uh, Interesting. See, like I say, I know weird trivia. Pointless, but know it. Um, there is a level of that, like, like I get mad. I can't watch award shows. I can't. Why is that? Because the numbers, and, and I, ah, I sound like such a fucking pretentious asshole when I say ah. this. But I'm going to do it anyway. Um, do it. <laughs> Um, whenever I hear someone, I'm just grateful to God for giving me the talent to be where I am today. Why do you thank God for bringing you the coach, the trainer, the mother, the father, the sister, the brother who had to fucking probably not get as much attention as you were getting pushed up, the people who played on your team, the people who actually pushed you, that kid who was better than you that challenged you to actually be better when you were fucking nine years old? How would you thank those fucking people? You want to thank God. Thank God for putting those people in your life. Don't thank God for your talent. Thank Him for the drive and the team of fucking people that put you there. I can't stand it. Nothing pretentious about that. That's just, that's fucking fact. You know, that's I like I just I, I don't want to say like I don't. This is what it is. When people thank God or they pray to God or whatever, like when people are like prayers will heal. Okay, prayer does heal. 
Fake the doctor's going to do a way better job of it, though. Because God taught the doctor to go to fucking school to fix your ass. Like, that's, that is actually how my brain works as far as, like, if you want to believe in God, believe that God put the people in place to fix you. Yeah. To help you, sure. to, be, to drive you, to compel you, to stimulate your mind, to stimulate your body, to move you forward. People come into your life when they are necessary. When the student is, when the, when the student is ready, the teacher appears. That is how that works. I believe that. So if you want to believe that that's God, or you want to believe that that's fate, or you want to believe that that's karma, or predetermination, predestination, any of those things, believe what you want, but be real about it. Yeah, I mean, I didn't become a supervisor in my position because I prayed a bunch and it happened. No, it's because Joe Barton told me I was shit at the job I was doing so many times that it clicked and I needed to be better. Yeah. I needed to, within myself... Tell myself, I, I need to do better. I need to be better at this, and I will, and I can. Right. And I did. Here we go.